This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast brought to you by the good folks at Bet Rivers. Remember, download the Bet Rivers app for everything you need. For all of your wagering needs, for all of your entertainment fun, uh, and as we get into this very busy time where you have wall-to-wall football, the NFL invades Saturday starting this week, uh, always the last couple of weeks of the season. So you have three games on Saturday and then Sunday and then Monday. Bowls almost every single day. So there's a football game almost every day, which means you need to have the Bet Rivers app handy. Now, everywhere... In the NFL, no matter where you go, whether it's the halls of the corporate offices, whether it's uh, team by team, AFC, NFC, you hear the same question being asked. Hey, are the Cowboys for real? Because year after year, people have wondered if this was going to be the year that the Cowboys were finally going to prove the team was real win the big games late in the season, win playoff games, which is something that has been virtually impossible for them in the last two decades. And you look at this Dallas team now, which has been good all year, which has been dynamic at home, okay, but has not beaten the good teams on the road, and now we'll get a chance to prove that. And we know they're going to the playoffs, but is this the year? Is this the year for Dak? Is this the year for their beleaguered head coach? Despite his resume in Green Bay, he is a beleaguered head coach. And recently the Cowboys, on this five-game winning streak, have scored 49, 33, 45, 41, 33 points, won most of these games except the Seattle game going away have put together a five-game winning streak. Now they go on the road for two very, very big contests. They get the Bills in Buffalo, followed by the Dolphins in Miami. They go home to play the Lions. They finish up with an easy one against Washington, which means they have a lock 11 wins. They uh, obviously are 10-3 and right now. They're going to win that last game. What do they do with these next three games? And the way the Lions are going, that game might not be as tough as we originally thought. But at Buffalo, at Miami, the next two weeks, and this Dallas team, which has played very well defensively, led by, of course, uh, Parsons and Bland and a host of players who have been dynamic defensively, especially at home. Almost they get going early. They get their defense going early. They get that turnover. They get that sack. They get that strip. They get that interception, and away they go. And Dak and his offense have been very good the last seven, eight weeks especially. Let's be honest. Over the last two months, the best wide receiver in the sport is not named Jefferson. He's not named Chase. He's not named Diggs. He's named Lamb. He's been the best receiver in the sport over the last two months. No question about it. 
been the most consistent, the most dynamic, and this is what Dallas now brings. Do they have a monster running game? No, but Pollard gives them enough. He has not been as dynamic as the premier back as he was as Zeke's backup. And Zeke's backup role was perfectly suited to him. You hammered the line with Zeke. You got the tough short yardage with Zeke, and then you went to Pollard for the changeup, and he broke one, he broke two. He got one out of the backfield in the, as a pass and took it 60 yards. He broke one for 60 yards. He hasn't been as dynamic in this starring role, but he is still more than enough for them. And then they have a tight end who is on his way to be a star. They have had their second and third receivers step up, and with Lamb playing the way he is, with Dak playing the way he is, with the defense playing the way it is, everyone wants to know, is this the year for the Cowboys? They will start to answer that question in a very big game against a highly motivated Buffalo team which knows what it has to do to go to the postseason and now might even think they have a chance for the division after Tennessee shocked Miami the other night, making that incredible 15-point comeback. Uh, in the final minutes of the game. So that's the question. With four weeks left in this season, as we get ready for week number 15, that's the question that is being asked everywhere in the NFL. Is this the year for the Cowboys? Are they finally for real? Moving to college football for a second, I find it comical when you watch the uh, eruptions, the very predictable eruptions out of Florida about the snubbing of Florida State. DeSantis, who should be worried about his uh, primary run, which is if going backwards, if anything, uh, had time to try to raise a million dollars to put forth an effort to com- combat what happened to Florida State. The attorney general's looking to get involved. What they are both doing is currying favor in the state from Florida State grads who obviously vote. That's obvious. And Florida State backers who obviously vote. But let's be honest, folks. Yes, this was not fair what happened to Florida State. But as I've told you, the committee was in a bind. If Georgia had beaten Alabama, everything would have fallen very neatly into place. They could have taken, they would have taken Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and then they would have made it a foursome of undefeated teams by taking Florida State, which had earned their way, earned their way with their defensive effort against Louisville, despite the fact they were on quarterback number three, earned their way into the playoff. Instead, Alabama upset the apple cart by beating Georgia. An Alabama team that needed a miracle win at Auburn, a fourth and forever that was completed, that kept them in the run. If they lost that game to Auburn, it wouldn't have been a very different story. They wouldn't even have been eligible as they came to the playoff or the SEC championship. But the bottom line is once Bama became the SEC champion and came from where they went to get in because there's no way this committee – was going to have a four-team championship playoff without the SEC champion. It would have invalidated their competition. It would have been the worst thing that could have happened. All you would have heard for a month is, how can you have a four-team playoff for the national championship without 
the team from the best league. And it has not only been the best league, it has been ultra-dominant over the last two decades. The SEC has completely dominated postseason play. They've completely dominated the playoff format. We know that. See, let's be honest. They had to come up with an excuse because once Alabama won and you knew they were taking the SEC champ, that meant Texas had to go because Texas had done the one thing they had to do. They had beaten Alabama in Tuscaloosa by 10 points. This committee had preached for years that you would be rewarded for going on the road and playing big opponents. They could not turn their back then on Texas, which had gone to Tuscaloosa and beaten Bama by 10 points. Doesn't matter that Alabama wasn't a very good team at that point. Doesn't matter that they were having problems with their quarterback. Doesn't matter that they hadn't grown up yet this year. Makes no difference. They still did it. And that meant they were going to carry into the playoff on Alabama's coattails. And it meant Florida State was on the outside. And then the committee had to look for a reason. Obviously, it was that the quarterback wasn't there, which had rendered them not as competitive. And the committee is so worried about competitive games, except if you look at this playoff and what's happened in its history, you have had route after route after route after route, year after year after year. Last year's championship was 65 to 7. You have you find games every year, 20 points, 21 points, 28 points, 30 points, 33 points, 38 points. They have never, never been able to produce competitive games. And they couldn't do that this year by keeping Florida State out. Yes, they're a better team with their starting quarterback. And their backup quarterback, this number two guy, might be able to play by both time. He probably will. And maybe they would have devised a game plan that worked. Maybe they would have devised a, a defense for the ages that won their bowl game. We don't know, but they deserved a chance to play. And they had proved it on the field, which has to be the first criteria and usually is. But this year they were in a bind. They had to take Texas because they took Alabama. They had to take Alabama because they beat Georgia. Let's be honest. If they went by what they believe their motivation is and what they are ruled by to pick the four best teams, Georgia would be there. Kirby Spahn's right. There's no question. If you took 20 experts and asked them, pick me the four best teams in the country, Georgia not only would be in the top four, they might be one. They've been the best team in college football for three years. They're just coming off a 29-game winning streak. We all know that. They actually still might be the toughest team in the country. They had a bad day. They were a little banged up in spots. They lost a tight game. It happens. Alabama won a miracle game at Auburn and then pulled out a close game against Georgia. And Texas had to go. And if Georgia had won, Florida State would have gone because they didn't have to then take Texas. They could have gone with the four undefeated teams, and they would have. But once they had to put Bama in, they had to put Texas in, which means they had to come up with an answer as to why they, for the first time ever, left a Power 5 undefeated team out. 
And that was, hey, they're not the same team now. We're worried about competitive balance, except for the fact that they've never produced competitive balance in the history, in the history of the competition. That's not what they can do. They can't do that. What they can do is pick the four teams that are the most deserving. Did they do that this year? Of course not, because Florida State deserved it. But it ran into a couple of things that just had to happen. And it left them on the outside looking in. But the politicians go back to worrying about messing up the country and don't worry about sports. Now, as far as this part of the year, you know, as teams lose and fall by the wayside, you know you have rumors about who's going where. It all starts, of course, with Bill Belichick. And nobody this side of Kraft to Belichick knows exactly what's going to happen next year. Most likely thing, he's dealt off to another team. Second most likely, he went back to, he goes back to the Pats. I doubt he retires. He's not going to be fired. I don't believe that for a second. I think he will be traded. You keep hearing Washington everywhere. I think he needs to go to a team that has a better quarterback and a better ready-made offensive situation like the Chargers, but we'll see what happens. It's funny, the other candidates, Flores is going to be a big candidate, and he deserves another job. Quinn is going to be a big candidate, and to me, he is the classic case of the coordinator who is very good at his job who should not again be a head coach. He gets to me the Bill Onsparger Award. Now, if you don't know who Bill Onsparger is because you're from a different generation, Bill Onsparger was Don Shula's right-hand man. He ran the defense, the famed no-name defense of the great Miami Dolphin teams, including the perfect team. He looked like the best candidate in terms of a coaching resume that you would ever see. So, sure, he would be a can't-miss head coach. Came to the Giants as their head coach. Can't miss. Almost a co-coach in Miami with those legendary teams, the legendary defense that he built. He went 7-24 and as the Giant head coach. 7-24. and Showed no leadership ability, no ability to run the whole team, and no personality. Zero. He couldn't, recruit you out of a lo- he couldn't recruit you out of a burning building. North Turner has filled that same role. Dave Wanstad. I could go down the list with so many guys. And Quinn, to me, is another. Hire him. He'll be a failed head coach, but he's a terrific defensive coordinator. You have to know the difference. The teams that do, who recognize the difference, those are the teams that hire successful head coaches. The emails when we return. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Send your emails to Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. Let's get to as many as we can. Ray, the Lakers hanging a banner for the uh, season is a joke. The NBA is almost unwatchable. Will it ever be good again? Hopefully, listen, you know if you've read my comments and you've heard me, you know how much I thought of the in-season tournament. It was one of the really bad decisions I've ever seen a smart commissioner make. It was an absolute joke. 
And the idea that the Lakers would even think or even consider to raise this in-season tournament victory, and who knows exactly what that means, as a banner in their brilliant history is almost so embarrassing that it's hard to say that LeBron James would care about his performance in these things, that the Lakers would care about their victory in such a thing. I mean, just makes it even a bigger joke. This is the worst thing to hit the NBA in a very long time. And I'm telling you, I really, really felt that this was an insult to everybody, this in-season tournament. Uh, what are your thoughts on Rom going to live? You know, there comes a point where nobody can say no to the money. They have so much money over there. There's no way they can't get everything they want. And that's dangerous in sports. It really is. Because money talks. And we all know what John Rahm has said in the past. But when someone is going to give you whatever the final number was, somewhere between 300 and $400 million to go. I mean, it changes. He's a young man. He's a great golfer. But he doesn't know the future. He doesn't know he's not going to get injured. He doesn't know whatever the situation is. Here is guaranteed money that will change his family's life for generations. How do you say no to that kind of money? Nobody would. So I'm not going to sit here and try and pass judgment on Rom for making that decision. The problem that they have in golf right now is they need to unite golf. No more live, no more PGA, one big happy family. But how do they do that? Because how do they placate the top 50 golfers, especially the top 10 golfers who didn't take the money? Because they sit there and say, wait, I was loyal. I watched as guys who were top 100 players got $15, $20 million to go over. And bigger guys got $100 million, $125 million, $150 million, $200 million. What about me? What do I get for being loyal? Now, just to show you how money means nothing to the Saudis, they said, well, what if we throw a billion or two in a pot. Imagine if they can just say, well, just throw a billion or two in the pot. So there's going to be a fund from which these golfers who stayed, probably based on ranking, will get to take money out of that pot just to placate them. Because if you can't placate them, you're not going to have an agreement. Because those guys who didn't go feel, I deserve something. Otherwise, I lost by staying. The guys who went to live won. And let's be honest, the guys who went to live did win because they're going to get to come back. They're not going to face any penalties. They're just going to have to watch as the other guys get placated somehow financially. It will happen because golf has to reunite. Ian, do you feel like the Giants could be headed towards a uh, Zach Wilson, Mike White situation in 2024 should Jones struggle early? Uh, also, DeVito's play likely saves Jones' starting job for next year. Um, Jones is going to be the quarterback next year. The Giants aren't going to draft high enough. If you're saying those wins, these games haven't been won by the quarterback, but here's the big key. They haven't been lost by the quarterback, although you have to give 
DeVito credit for the drive for the field goal, four for four. He took what was there underneath, and then when they went to the man defense, he hit the play that he had to hit to Robinson for 32 yards and the game winner. So he made his plays there, and he deserves credit for it. And obviously, he's getting a world of credit because everyone loves the story. They love his story. They love his family. They love how outrageous they are. They love the whole thing. Hey, the bottom line is the Giants have won three games in a row in a season where they just wanted some good news. And this has been the good news, and it's placated the fans. And now DeVito's going to keep the job probably for the rest of the season. I think that uh, comeback against the Packers for the field goal iced that. Unless he just goes on the road to New Orleans this week and is outrageously bad, or next week is outrageously bad. Uh, I I don't think he's not going to start again. And let's be honest, he has not thrown any interceptions. That's been the biggest key. The sacks weren't there this week. They got rid of the ball a lot quicker because he had been getting sacked an inordinate amount of time, really a crazy amount of time since he had started playing. But he had not turned the ball over, and that's the key. And he drove them for a win the other day, which he deserves credit for. So right now, that's the story, and... Listen, I don't think there's any doubt that Jones is the quarterback next year. Do I think that DeVito presses Jones? No, not in the least. AJ, do you think Rodgers will play this year based on what he has been uh, saying? Seems like he doesn't care about the record when he is ready to play. As I have told you, there is no way Rodgers should come back and play behind that offensive line. Case closed. If he plays in Cleveland on December 28th, Thursday night, probably very nasty weather off that lake, late December against that defense. They are asking, they are asking for ruination. I do not see that happening. I will be shocked if he plays, and if he does, it will be one of the worst decisions ever. Jacob, after watching the Giants on Monday night, would you agree that DeVito understanding the Giants are much more entertaining than watching with Jones? Listen. The DeVito story touches everybody, hometown guy, underdog guy, free agent quarterback, comes out of nowhere, colorful family, colorful history, the whole thing. Uh, it, it, it plays great. It's, it's a fun story that everyone can buy into. Just treat it like that and don't worry about next season. Daniel Jones is going to be the quarterback. That goes without saying, and the Giants just have to get better. You know what? In recent weeks, they've shown that the defense has some life. They, are, they have guys in the secondary who are growing up. They have wide receivers who are growing up. These are positive for next year. Now, that offensive line just has to get a lot better. Jim. Could the issue with the Kansas City offense be the loss of Eric Bieniemy? Absolutely not. Let's be honest. Sometimes you have to give Andy Reid credit. And sometimes you have to give him blame. Andy Reid brought in guys that he thought he could build an offense around and guys who showed real explosive tendencies, just like Hill did. 
Now, I believe Rice is a winner. I think Rice is a keeper. I think he's a winner. I think if they start to use him as their number one wide receiver with no questions asked, target him eight to ten times a game, and then you have him and Kelsey, I think you're headed in the right direction. I think the kid is explosive. He's got a good first step. He does not drop the ball. Yes, he's run a couple of wrong routes, but he has clearly become a target that Mahomes trusts. No one else there is. Tony is a train wreck. Sky Moore has been forgotten completely because he just didn't catch the ball all year. He looks explosive. Maybe you turn him into a punt returner, but he hasn't been. And they need Pacheco back, obviously, behind uh, in the running game. But uh, I don't think it's been me. I just think Andy relied on some guys, and now he needs another wide receiver. But I think he has a keeper in Rice if he would just treat him that way. And I think you're starting to see that. It really has to happen in a big way. Rice gets a coming out party, 160 yards, two touchdowns, three touchdowns, and I think he has arrived then. Phil, it's pretty ironic that it will, uh, with all the quarterback injuries, the one quarterback who has stayed healthy this year is Tua. Uh, Despite last week, is he in the MVP conversation? I don't think so. I don't think he's had an MVP season. I don't think he wins the MVP. As a matter of fact, I don't think he's nearly the MVP on his team. I think Hill is. Uh, I don't think he'll. I think Dak would win it before he would. I think Purdy will win it before he would. I think Hill and McCaffrey are in the running. Um, I don't think uh, that Josh will win it. I don't think Mahomes will win it. He doesn't deserve it. Uh, Allen doesn't deserve it. And even. Even Hurst doesn't deserve it. He's just turned the ball over too many times. He's been a good quarterback again. I think it's Dak and Purdy, uh, McCaffrey, and Hill. I think it's those four guys. I think one of them is going to be the MVP. And it's not going to be a very uh, impressive MVP, to be honest with you. And I do think uh, McCaffrey and, and Hill have big chances. Uh, Lee, with the deferrals built into uh, Tani's contract, if the Dodgers use the savings to sign Yamamoto, for example, do you see the MLB owners putting safeties into the deferral system like they did with the cone rule for luxury uh, to prevent these things from happening? You know, they have ways of valuing the contract. The deferral is somewhere around, now we hear, $680 million out of the 700 is being deferred. But they still bring the contract up to present-day value, which means he's, they're going to be charged about, like I said, about 40 to $42 million as a payroll. That's what's going to be to the bottom line. About my, the calculations are somewhere between 40 and $42 million. So it really makes the deferral about 300 in terms that affect the luxury tax. It's not all 680 which is deferred. See, what people didn't realize, what made this so different is supposedly already Atani makes about $40 million off the field. They calculate that if he is in a World Series with the Dodgers, that he will make somewhere around 100 to $150 million off the field that year. So that's why they don't need the salary and they can defer it until his whole contract is over. And they have deferred $680 million of the $700 million 
because he already makes $40 million off the field. And if he goes to a, with a winning team like the Dodgers in a Dodger brand uniform and plays in the World Series, he will make so much money here and back in the Far East that it will almost be, you know, you can't count it. It's, it could be upwards of you know, $200 million in a year. That's how big he is. So that, that made his negotiating a contract secondary to going to a winning team. He didn't have to move. He stayed in the same city. He stayed on the West Coast. And he got himself with a team that goes to the playoffs every single year that is still strong in the minor league system and still able to add players to already a star-studded team. He knows he's walking into a lineup with Betts and Freeman and other talented players. Uh, he, he went to a, what he felt was a winning situation. That's what he wanted more than anything else, more than money. It wasn't about money. It was about winning. Brendan, Trout probably wants a chance at a ring. What chance do you put on him being traded? I really thought he would be traded this year. I really thought the Angels would start over. I think the team will be sold. And I thought he would get himself to Philadelphia. I'm surprised it hasn't happened. I do think he will be traded sooner rather than later. I did think he would go this year. Brendan, what are your thoughts on the Belmont being moved to Saratoga? Uh, I have a couple of short-term thoughts and a couple of long-term thoughts. My short-term thoughts are that the four-day festival, which will have 23 stakes, will be really big for Saratoga and very, uh, really fun for the racing enthusiasts. It'll be, I know people are already making plans to be there between the, uh, I think it's the 9th and 12th of uh, June, I believe. Check me on those dates, but I believe it's the 9th and 12th of June. Um, they're moving, they can't run the Belmont on a mile and a half because the Belmont Oval is the only mile-and-a-half oval in North America, and they can't run the mile-and-a-half at Saratoga. So they're running a mile-and-a-quarter. I think that has historical implications. I think they will keep the Belmont at a mile-and-a-quarter. I also think two other things will happen. I think that the Belmont will be backed up so that we will no longer have the two-week, three-week. We will have longer between the two races. We'll have longer between the we'll have a month between the Derby and the Preakness, and six weeks between the Preakness and the Belmont. They've been trying to do that forever. The two things they've tried to do forever, because racing has changed, is to add distance, add time between the races, and bring the Belmont to a mile and a quarter. I think this sets up both for the future, and I think both will happen. I think one thing, the third thing that will come out of this is I believe that Saratoga will run. From right after the 4th, I think Belmont will close on the 4th of July. And I think uh, Saratoga will open immediately thereafter. So I think from now on, uh, Saratoga, in essence, will be open from the 4th of July to Labor Day. Closes on Labor Day, as you know. It now, I believe, will run from, and that'll be maxing out the Saratoga meet. And they don't want this extension up there for a lot of reasons. They don't want this extension, but I think it's going to happen. I think they're going to run from, in essence, from the 4th of July to Labor Day. They're going to run in Belmont. They're going to run in Saratoga. You're only going to have two tracks now. You're going to have Belmont, 
Yeah, we're going to have no aqueduct. Aqueduct property is going to be sold. When Belmont's finished, we'll be sold to the uh, airport. You will have Belmont as the all-year track, and then you will have Saratoga from, I think, right past the 4th of July to Labor Day. And the Belmont will get moved back. I would think it'll be Derby, first Saturday in May, Preakness a month later, Belmont five to six weeks later, and the Belmont will be moved to a mile and a quarter permanently. I think those will be the things that come out of this move to Saratoga for the next two years. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.